Hi again, everyone. Welcome to episode 47, part two of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and millennial talk about the Enneagram and (laughs) all the things that Allison does not understand. (laughs) I just think it's important that we note that Uh I literally did not read this accurately. Yep. That's interesting. I think that is really yep. important to note that I yep. truly did. I okay, th- and I would say, okay, that also is that report. That's that interpretation of identifying your core type Enneagram. Okay, so quick pause. This is part two of a two-part of episode 47. So, so listen if you in. have not listened to the first part, I would say go back and listen yes. to that if you're curious. We did a, a dive into the Enneagram structure, a little bit of what it looks like, what a core type looks like, what a wing means, what integration, disintegration, stress, security looks like, and a little bit of foreshadowing to talking about this. So if you haven't listened to that, pause and go back. Right. Listen to that if you're curious. That's like a, the pre... That's like the... It's the context. Prerequisite. Yes. For Prereq course for the now the two for the two hundred one course of, I still mm-hmm. don't understand this. I okay, still, <laughs> which is okay. Which is like I'm. You well, know, that's I'm glad we're so to okay. This what I really okay. appreciate about this in strengths language mm-hmm. is the fact that this is your learner teaching and this is my input absorbing. Mm-hmm. And I, I am struggling to absorb. Yep. Without all my questions being answered. Yeah. But you're a very, very patient teacher. I'm trying. Are there any questions I haven't answered yet? No. I think that you've answered them. But starting with your two and not a one, I also think that I came into this, and let's just own this honestly, with some bad attitude and negative perception about it. So I just went to, oh, of course I'm a strict perfectionist, and look at this language. Yep. It's so negative, right? Yeah. So But now um, I'm glad to know that I'm a considerate helper. Considerate helper. <laughs> which is definitely the, the kindest, I think, of all of the labels of the numbers, um, or the uh, terms of the numbers. And it's also actually why this is the most misidentified number, especially within the female population. Makes sense. Because especially because this the Enneagram has a lot of Christian ties and heritage. So there's this idea of this is what a Christian female has to look like, right? And so actually it's funny and I think it's I guess interesting that you're probably hearing you're you're hearing about if you're listening to this and haven't really known about the Enneagram that you're hearing it from me because the um, eight females are probably the most negatively viewed and get the baddest rap on the Enneagram. Absolutely, I bet. Because they push a lot of gender norm boundaries in our patriarchal culture sitting in the United States of America, right? So, and there haven't sounds been a like lot you. of like, yeah, sounds a lot like me, which sounds also a lot like an eight, right? Like <laughs> pushing boundaries. So, um, so we wanted to, for this episode, talk a little bit. We queued up as much as possible or as much as we wanted to, kind of the, the intro of it, to talk really concrete examples of what this looks like. So it can be complimentary. I do want to reiterate that we're not necessarily saying, we're definitely not saying everybody go out and figure out your type, right? Like this is for people who really want to do additional investment, who are curious about it, who've heard about it and are like, what the heck, who are maybe going to counseling and want to integrate this into some of their own personal healing um, as it is a little more abstract, but also a lot more negative uh, than um, than strengths language. So um, I'm going to do a little bit of an overview of all of the nine types to give us a little bit of just context okay. um, to this. 
um, I think I'm going to use this. So I'm using a book um, which is called The Path Between Us uh, by Suzanne Stabile, who is probably the leading Enneagram expert. Uh, she's been doing it probably the longest out of most people that are talking about it, besides like Father Richard Rohr maybe, um, who's a very commonly um, cited Enneagram person. And... Um, and so this book specifically is not her introduction to the Enneagram. This is all about actually relationships between numbers and Enneagrams in relationship. But she has a, a really good one she actually co-wrote with Ian Cron, who is the guy who created the assessment that I had you take. Uh, and that's called The Road Back to You, which is all about claiming that core type. And that's definitely probably one of the best introductory books. I also um, highly recommend The Sacred Enneagram, which is by Chris Hewerts. He actually lives in Omaha and this is who I did the workshop with. And he is very much more on the spirituality side. Um, Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron are as well, but not as much into, uh, Chris Hewerts is more of a mysticist. Um, uh, he's more into the kind of mystic theology within the Christian theological realm. Um, but he's a little more like you might really enjoy this interpretation of it, Allie, based on based on understanding your kind of faith and um, life concept framework. I enjoy these guys a little bit more sure. um, because they're a little more traditionalist. So, um, so essentially, I'm going to talk a little bit about the core numbers because we all have a core type, um, and then describe those a bit, and then we're going to dig into examples of Allie's number and my number and how they relate to our strengths. Um, how they complement, but also how they can conflict sometimes. So, um, so the ones, so there's, they're all numbered based on the one to nine um, kind of diagram. The ones often are called the perfectionist is a name for them, um, which is the one that you you, you thought and you um, you were looking at. I'm also trying to look for, I, and I very, I, I think I do have, that's a wing, correct? And I think yes. that probably. Um, comes out for sure comes out especially this time of year yep definitely so I was going to look very quickly to see if I can find in this book Chris actually does a whole chart of all of the different names that have been associated with each of the numbers which I think is helpful I don't know if I'll be able to find it at a quick pass through because he has so many charts but maybe I'll get to it um, but so I might throw out some other names for these that I have heard but essentially there's a couple different veins of theory and thought behind the Enneagram, which is why there's a lot of variance in how it's taught and what people say are the best practices because it comes from several different traditions. So there's kind of a um, um, certain traditions which are a little maybe more traditional, more um, associated with Christianity. There's a whole wing of the Enneagram that's associated with Native um, spirituality, Native American and First Nations spirituality. Um, so there's a lot of different interpretations of it. But um, ones um, on this diagram are called the perfectionists. Um, they are a little bit, or they always kind of want um, want things to look great, want to... Um, uh, want to a little bit be perfect, uh, want to have a perfect display, not only um, externally, but internally. So what I've heard is that they have kind of an inner critic that's always speaking to them, right? That things need to be better, this needs to be better. It's less because you're measuring against someone or something else, but more internally, that you always have to make things better. Um, so I'm gonna um, quote from, again, The Path Between Us, Suzanne Stabile, I wanna make sure I give um, credit to her. Um, she said, uh, ones have a hard time believing that they're good enough or worthy because of a constant inner voice that faults everything they do. So they often settle for being right or correct. So that's kind of the one. The two are the helpers are also called the givers. So, um, and this is um, Allie's uh, type. Uh, there's a lot of 
needing to be needed. Mm-hmm. So there's this desire to feel needed to and 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 choose it's not only just feeling to be needed but it's because you see the needs of other people really in tune like i mentioned it's part of heart triad so really in tune emotionally with the needs of other people the term that is often associated with this is empathy so i which is kind of funny you have empathy in your top five my um, best friend alex who's a type two empathy is her number one strength and so oftentimes there's a lot of association between those um so they um, give often at the expense of their own self. So give more and more and try to fix things and try and meet the needs until it eventually becomes they lose all sense of what their own needs are, right? Um, so the threes are called the performers and they um, like to be successful. Oftentimes they're driven by status or um kind of external views of success so they're really good at um a little bit sometimes what's associated with them is they put on a little bit of like a mask sometimes Mm -hmm. they know who they need to portray in any given situation or who they need to become in any given situation based on the audience or the need within that context i do not know personally any self-identified threes i've listened to a great podcast i listened to is um, that sounds fun with annie f downs and she actually did an awesome series this whole summer where for each enneagram type she invited a male and a female of each type to describe and answer a ton of great questions about their type. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful because I, I think I know someone that is identified with every other number except for a three. Um, and so I don't know them a whole lot, um, know a whole lot about them personally, but they are um, also a lot like achievers, but it's less an internal motivation from my understanding, an internal critic, but more of external indicators of success. Um, fours are called the romantics or the creatives they are um, oftentimes uh, um, drawn to the careers of artistic expression if it's um, music or artistry or poetry they really like uh, creative expression and are often called the romantics so they're also part of the heart triad Um, they uh, authenticity is like the number one value to a four um, which is a little bit of why just knowing about the types I thought potentially this was where you were typed but it's actually where you go in security so when Mm -hmm. things are good you go to a place of authenticity Mm -hmm. and artistic expression and so that probably makes a lot of sense um i only write on my blog when i'm in a good place yeah okay so it's a really great indicator right of of that two going to security Mm -hmm. you are taking on the positive or the average or positive aspects of the four type Mm -hmm. the romantic um so the, all those, the other thing about the four type that's talked a lot about is that fundamentally they think there's like a hole in their life, like there's something that's missing um, that they just can't seem to, um, to fill that need. They like to be seen as unique. They don't like to be put in boxes, um, which is kind of like a joke about the fours, right? Is that all the fours are in this one box, but they don't like to be put in boxes, right? right. Um and so that's kind of the four, the romantic, the creative, um, 
uh, yes. So um, the five is um, the observer, the investigator, um, quiet specialist is the term that's used in that report. Um, but they are they're driven a lot by almost a scarcity mindset. So I know quite a bit about a fives because for a while I was mistyped as a five. Um, so they are driven by um, a scarcity mindset. So they believe they have a limited amount of resources. So they are driven to acquire more and more knowledge all the time. So they want to know more, they want to investigate more, observe more, um, but also are tend to be a lot more introverted because they believe their energy is very limited. So they get depleted very easily. They're very introverts. They spend a lot of time alone, um, which is where my type goes to in stress. So my eight, my, my core type that I've claimed, not my mistype, goes to that under stress. And you can tell. You've seen me in stress. Yeah. I won't take out my earbuds at work because I'm totally secluded mm-hmm. as much as I can be in our open space floor plan. <laughs> um, so um, they uh, like to be very independent. Um because and, and they're oftentimes very emotionally detached from their surroundings. Um, they're very central in the thinking center, and their second center is the gut center, so they're most removed from their heart, um, which is also very similar, kind of similar to my core type of an eight, as we talked about last time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the observer investigator. Um, there tend to be not a lot of fives in the world. Um, the most common type is a six, which we'll get to and probably makes a little bit of sense. But they say, I don't even know, it was like more than half of the population is a six, um, is what I've read in some places. But the six are the loyalists. Um, so they really like to feel secure and confident about what's going on because they have a lot of anxiety and fear naturally. They sit in anxiety, um, sit in fear a lot, um, and therefore are driven to try and always find a sense of security. So the loyalist is termed um, that because oftentimes in relationship, that is the number one pillar. Like there's always this idea that you might leave, I might feel unsecure, um, and so therefore I need to feel, I need to feel secure because of anxiety. Um, there's. Oftentimes, um, when we talk about strengths, we talk about the command who can get us out of a room in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the six is like that. Uh, so the the sixth six is always, especially like almost in a deliberative sense, looking for the issues. They're constantly being proactive about what could go wrong, right? To the to the place where in an unhealthy state, it could really drive someone into almost insanity, right? Because you're constantly anxious about things that might not ever happen right like I have a friend who's a six and she talks about like plane crashes and you know all these things that are like statistically not even realistic right but that's just where their brain goes it goes to the worst case scenario and tries to settle there and oftentimes can get stuck there but it comes from a motivation of needing to feel secure Um, but it kind of often leads to anxiety um but it's kind of cool, um, again, from this book, Suzanne Stabile, um, The Road Between Us, she says they're a lot more concerned about the common good than any other number. So they are loyal. They are constantly there. They're steadfast. There's a faithfulness because for them, that's what brings comfort, right? That's what brings security, which is what their motivation is for security, um, which can lead to a lot of anxiety. Um, sevens are called the enthusiasts oftentimes is what I've heard. Um, Another term is epicures. 
they delight in the best possibilities is what this book says um i know a few sevens and they're best categorized as loving to avoid pain by filling it with fun things so the for example the host of that podcast i mentioned that sounds fun she is a seven so she made a podcast because it sounded like a fun thing. thing. Right. And so she called it That Sounds Fun. So oftentimes they'll love to do things, love to go places, love to essentially numb pain as much as possible um, by by doing things. So um, they, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, they are naturally very positive people. Um, they are always looking for the good um, that's going on around them. Um, but a lot of it is with a motivation of trying to avoid any sort of pain. Um, uh, the eights, which is my uh, core number, are called the challenger. I think it's the only super positive, <laughs> somewhat positive term I've heard for it. It's also called the boss. Um, or uh, the controller sometimes as well. Um, so they are uh, very independent and autonomous people, uh, not liking to have, not liking to be dependent on anything or anyone. So very independent people. <laughs> You're like laughing at me. Uh -huh. um, they uh, are often motivated by the need to be against something. So there's always something um, fundamentally that eights push against. Um, either in the world or in their own life or um, you know there's no place of contentment and then the natural position is for is, is anger um, uh, sometimes uh, frustration um, loving to play devil's advocate um, seeing both sides to any given situation um, and so therefore kind of in 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 the best of all worlds eights can really bring um, a sense of justice. So justice is a big thing for a lot of eights. So pushing against the injustices of the world is a really positive, healthy place for an eight to be. But sometimes in unhealth, that can look a lot of just like picking fights wherever they find a fight, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Did you have a question? You wrote down a question mark. <laughs> um, keep going and then I'll get to it. Okay. So um, the last one, because we went in order is a nine, um, which are uh, the peacemakers, uh, sometimes called the mediators, uh, I've heard sometimes like harmonious attached to them. So they have the ability to um, see any, kind of put themselves in anybody's shoes, right? So they're very easily adaptive when it comes to their own personality. So they're talked about a lot in terms of they're the hardest to type because they conform to anybody that's around them. So they take on the characteristics of those people around them. They... Um, I've also heard that uh, in kind of unhealth, or I've read that kind of in unhealth, they can, you know, because they are part of the gut triad, the eight, nine, and one, which is naturally sits in anger, which is kind of funny. You might not think of them as angry, but it's a lot of latent anger and resentment that builds up. And so it then is expressed as passive aggressive, which is kind of really funny because, you know, if you were to pick a theme, a strengths finder theme that goes with all of these, right? There right. are some that are really easy to pick, right? That would go really well with certain ones. Like, so for the Eidic, for example, Harmony mm -hmm. is one um, that probably could get easily attached to this. And we talk a lot about the basement or the really, really raw form of Harmony is passive aggression because you don't want to deal with the conflict mm -hmm. and you think it's easier therefore to avoid the conflict, which, you know, according to the Enneagram 9, is then builds up this latent anger and resentment, resentment. Um, which comes out probably negatively. So in the end, but okay, so that's an overview of all of the nine types. Okay, so remind me um, when, 
So for me, two mm-hmm. to eight. Now that's when I'm in an unhealthy. When you're in a healthy place. I go to. Oh, sorry. When you're in an unhealthy place, yes. Unhe- yes. So yes. okay. Yep. So when we were talking earlier about wounds, do you think that your unhealthy, the number that you go to when you're not in a good place, is related to your wound? I don't know, honestly. I, I'm sure it is. I think this is the part of the Enneagram that I'm like, gosh, I feel like there's never consensus on anything and everybody has a different way of explaining things, right? So I say your core type comes a lot from your childhood wound or right. wounds that you either perceived or actually right. experienced growing up. And each core type has the exact same two lines of stress and security or integration and disintegration. Right. So I think surely it can come out of that, right? Like I think of, you probably can have examples of yourself, but like my eight goes to a five when it's in stress and in disintegration. And the five is this cold aloofness, which is my wound from my mom, right? Right. So that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking, okay, because my eight, when I'm not in a good place, is active controller, which was a lot of, it was chaotic, and there was a total being the big sister yes yeah that I uh-huh. have to go into control in order to survive because I was completely lacking mm-hmm. in our household oh absolutely so I but then I think that's what I go to when I'm not in a good place because yeah. it's what I know yeah yep and probably you know naturally where you fall based on your core type but also where your how your strengths align right right um, and so I think it's interesting because what a lot of people talk about like you can't ever fully avoid stress in your life or times of disintegration, hard times in your life. But knowing and identifying what are the triggers for that based on what you see as your motivation, right? So when you know you're starting to have this anger build up, when you're starting to want to punch a wall, right? right? Those are indicators that you're moving to an eight, which is very contrary to your natural stance as a two, right? right? And so for me, when I start to retreat and withdraw and not want to go out with my friends and not want to verbally process what's going on, not want to to do things or to not want to put up a fight, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm returning to a five, which means I got to evaluate the stress that's going on in my life, right? Right. And we talked about that in an earlier episode about your strengths, right? Mm -hmm. Like having really good identifiers for what your strengths look like in the basement so that you can call that out in order to say what needs to change in this situation. What will heal me? What do I need to say healing? And I think I also am curious as to, I know that when I'm in a good place, I go to a four, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yep. And get to writing and blogging, but that's also my healing. Yeah. When I can be Mm. expressive, that's very healing for me. These sessions, these dialogues are very healing for me. Um, now back to the where you go in an unhealthy place. Yep. Am I saying that right? Is yeah. there a better term for it? So it's your basement essentially. Your basement. Yep. So I think probably I've called it several different things on this. I think let's call them stress and security. When okay. you're under stress or when you're in a place of security, I think that's the easiest way to talk okay. about it. So when I'm in stress and I go to eight, um, so I was thinking of a recent conversation. Um, I am going for, through a difficult time, and I was talking to my mom, who has known me, obviously, my entire life. <laughs> and um, we don't always get along, and we have a very interesting relationship as it is. But one of the things that she said to me is, you know, Allison, you always think that you can solve everything. Hmm. And you insist on doing it yourself. Hmm. And I, now... 
five years ago, 10 years ago, for sure 20 years ago, I would have completely dismissed her because I, I'm not going to hear it. I will have hmm. nothing to do with that dialogue. You don't know me. <laughs> and then and about the same time I took this, but also I was thinking about she's right. Hmm. She's right. Yeah. That um, I do think that I can control and fix and solve anything. Mm-hmm. Any problem is potentially a solvable issue. Yeah. And she said, and not everything is. Yeah. And not everything uh, you have to do by yourself. Mm-hmm. So what I was thinking about is she's really describing my in-stress eight. Mm. Yeah. Very, very well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and coming from, I think, probably that the core motivation of the two, right? Which is the need to help and to fix and yes. to solve the problems. And then that eight of having the full control over the solution of the problems, right? right? Because I think a, a two, from my understanding, in a place of, of health in a core two, um, probably doesn't always need to have control over being the fixer. No. You like to identify the problems and you like to help people fix, right? Right. right. But you don't need to be... I just love to witness you growth. You just love to see that happen, right? right? So like me, I'm like... I love to see it happen, and let's go together. <laughs> like, let's walk hand in hand. I just like to witness you know. growth, um, and I like to, I like to feel like I'm part of yeah. something that matters. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so I'm gonna read some stuff about the two. All right, and we're gonna do some uh, string spotting in the midst. Okay, strengths connection. Okay, so, um, so uh, Enneagram two, the helper. Uh, you uh, you are demonstrative. You have a demonstrative and warm nature, which ma- which makes it easy for others to connect with you and like you. Okay, you're caring, anticipate the needs of others, and generally give of yourself to others. Focus on relationships. You excel in roles where uh, engaging with clients and people really matters. Uh, sacrificing, putting your own needs and feelings on the back burner to support others. And praising, you're good at paying compliments, and you can make people feel special, boosting their confidence. I love doing that. Yeah. Your motivation is uh, the need to be liked and appreciated. It's a lot of your core motivation. Yeah. Which is probably hard to confront. Right. Um, empathy is likely very well developed. Literally, that's written in here. <laughs> you uh, have a feeling and emotion focused. Uh, you're into developing relationships with other people. You have a number of deep friendships and connection. Uh, you draw people out through your expression of generosity. You quickly respond when someone's in need. Um, you uh, like to express your appreciation for others in your own way. So, like all of those things, I mean, it's very much. I see your woo there. Um, woo, I definitely empathy. Um, your empathy. I want to spot your individualization too. The helper, I feel like, really understands and really knows what people need, and so therefore. Probably the two is a natural great gift giver as well. Like I showed up on Monday and there were three Beatles records on my desk. What (laughs) the heck? And after sitting with that for a second thinking, who on earth? Surely Allie, that's the easiest answer. But maybe it might be, you know, Keith just came and, you know, these other people. I'm Why is she working on the weekend? Then I finally texted you and I was like, oh yeah, it's for sure Allie. So um, you know, I was kind of surprised you even had Beatles records, honestly. But then you told me they're from Dan. They're get, from so. Dan. They're from Dan. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So definitely a lot of the strengths playing out. Which is, is funny when you think about, again, the difference between these two. The Enneagram being about identifying your motivation. And your talents. Your talent themes from Gallup being about identifying talent and 
the manifestation of behavior, right? Your actual behavior, right? right. So if you're coming from a core motivation of um, needing to feel liked and appreciated, it's going to manifest in a way that's warm, that's people-oriented, that's sometimes people-pleasing, that's mm-hmm. focused on others rather than mm-hmm. the self. Um, so it makes sense that these two would go hand-in-hand, hand, right? Right, right. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, so get into the, the not-so-positive language because that's what I think is very yes, unique about this yes. assessment. Yeah, so there's a ton of negative language, which is really, I think, hard, and which is why also we just, like, don't recommend this in mass. It's harsh. Um, it's very harsh, um, very... A reminder. Outright. <laughs> yeah, it's a reminder of, um, I feel like, where your, your best also makes you weak. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is this is the thing about the two, right? Is that you are so in tune with other people's needs that you neglect your own needs. And mm-hmm. I think yours is probably the least harsh language out of anybody. So when we get into mine, if you want to get into harsh language, like let's go right. because it's really bad. It's really bad. Um, but okay, so I love some of these things. And um, I'm reading this from the um, Enneagram um, uh, Integrative Solutions, the EIQ9 report, which I had Allie take. Again, if you listen back to episode one, because I talk about the difference, really the, an assessment, even something like this that seems to have a little bit of validity isn't generally a best practice. But um, it was easy based on our, our current context of conference being a week away. <laughs> but uh, so um, some of the blind spots, um, you're not tuned into your own needs. You can neglect that and you can neglect your own authentic desires. This says um, you may not be aware of the hidden intentions behind your generosity. So understanding that the motivation is to feel needed and to feel liked and appreciated. Mm-hmm. And that is, even though your behavior might seem very selfless, that's a very selfish motivation. Yeah. And so therefore the vice of a two, right? Each type has a vice and a virtue. The vice is pride because you, it's, and it's, uh, it's pride through false humility, which is not humility, right? right? And so it's a self-deprecation, maybe a self-lowering, a self-forgetfulness for the sake of inflating other people, which in the end is no closer to humility than full-blown pride is, right? Um, and that's why I kind of like that it's called out as pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but the gifts you bring to the world are compassion, love, and humility um, when you're in a really healthy place. Um, core fear is being unwanted, unloved, rejected, abandoned, seen as worthless or undeserved, which is hard, right? So when we talk about the triads, the head, the heart, and... Um, oh, my wonderful therapist, yeah. Tim, is listening <laughs> in. To that. Um, because he does an exercise with all of his clients, and I would really encourage people to do, to do it. Yeah. What is your core fear? Yeah. And my core fear um, is abandonment. Abandonment. Okay, so each type has a core fear. Yep. And they actually follow along another triad. So your core fear and my core fear are the same. Rejection. Um, and makes a lot of sense <laughs> when you dig into those yeah, things. Yeah, it does. Um, and, yeah, so I think that it – this is what I, I, I find kind of helpful about this sometimes is you might not be able to put words to it. I could not put words to the fact that my core fear as a human being was rejection mm-hmm. until I really did some intensive mentorship with one of the pastors when I was working with him. And, you know, he really said, Tess, it sounds a lot like you, you know, this anger or frustration is coming from a place of rejection. And – until the word was put to it, I didn't know. And so that's what I love about strengths, but also why I think that the Enneagram can be helpful is it puts words to our innate feelings, behaviors, actions, motivations that 
if we aren't self-aware, and I don't think a lot of people are, it's never explicitly expressed, right? Like it's really nice to have this typed down on a paper as harsh as it is sometimes Mm -hmm. because you can confront it, right? Right. You can't. I also have to own it. You can't work through what is not identified, right? right? So interestingly enough that both of us have that, do you feel like that's part of our why? Because I know that's my why. Mm, Yeah, I don't want one single kid to ever feel that's good rejected or abandoned yep that they yeah i mean so so that's where my passion about zero visits gets where i could punch my hand through a wall there should not be any one of our kids ever not having that mentor show up for them because if they get that promise Hmm. it should be kept so do you feel like that's kind of where Probably, I think, yeah, I think probably your why comes more out of your motivation, I would say. At, at least I would think, um, right. rather than um, like a, a vice. But I think a lot of our motivations come from, again, our childhood wounds, our things that we interpreted when we were growing up and forming. And that's where a lot of our, you know, vices come from, a lot of the things about our core values so, or our core numbers. So I think they all work together mm-hmm. really seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think your why can come from any so of that. So this is a yeah. good second level when you're when you're really getting deep into what's your why. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, so I think a few other things about um, Enia 2. Uh, you can quickly establish intimacy with people. Others are naturally drawn to you. Um, in intimate relationships, uh, you like in partnerships and marriage, you spend a lot of time and effort pleasing, supporting partner. So you're good adap- at adapting. Um uh, you're pleasing to others and will find safety in pleasing authority within relationship. Um, you have a natural empathy. Uh, you find yourself getting very involved in the management of other people's lives. <laughs> so, okay, so what I loved is when, when seeing this, which again, if you listen to episode one, I don't know that I would have off the bat pegged you as a two, right? Because, oh, again, it has to do with your motivations. And I feel like you know you pretty well. But once I read this and understand your framework, it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, the qu- the thought about learning to mom by not momming. Yes. I think that we talked about a few episodes ago. Yes. Was the thing I thought of immediately, mm-hmm. right? Is that you're struggling with learning how to be a mom in this season of motherhood mm-hmm. because your kids don't need you anymore. Also because I have been in a mom role. Yeah. Since I've been very young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really know what it's like to not. Yeah. And that's also why the two makes total sense because of the childhood wounds that you've walked through. Correct. Um, And yeah, it makes, gosh, so much sense. So you um, may be quite adept at putting on a happy face or stepping into helping mode even when you feel unhappy or lack the motivation. To give more of yourself to others. And I think that's something that you have really worked on an authenticity mm-hmm. in your self-expression because I think that's a natural tendency of woo. And we've talked about that. It's a label of woo, but it comes from a place of, because that kind of happens sometimes, mm-hmm. of the needing to be quote-unquote on. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is exactly the phrase that I have used quite a bit. Yeah, And I think that came from early childhood yeah. experiences that... If I wanted to fit in and be accepted, I better be on. Yeah. 
And so Mm, there really isn't an option for me to be off. Um, So going through a tough time and going into whatever situation I might be, I'm more apt to be even more on. Yeah. Like hyper on. (laughs) Completely on. And I will work, 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 work to make sure that I can be on. But um, again, wise words of a therapist, he said, eventually you're you're coming down. Yeah. And for, sure. and for me, the and I love that you point that out because I think for everyone to go into the basement of their strength, the self-awareness of their mm-hmm. personality, we are not constant rainbow and butterfly around here. Mm-hmm. And nope. I think this is a deeper dive into, okay, what are my blind spots? What are my core fears? Mm-hmm. What are some of these things that if I can know these and own these, it helps me to utilize my strengths as tools mm-hmm. and superpowers yeah. to help me to be my most successful self. Absolutely. It does not mean that I'm not going to have times of stress and strain sure. in this, but knowing my strengths, mm-hmm. I know that, okay, every night I spend a little bit of time on Pinterest. Now I yeah. limit myself, but it brings me tremendous relaxation. <laughs> And I'm going to pin a bunch of recipes I will probably never, ever cook, but it gives me this opportunity to let my Pinterest brain, my input brain, gather information. Yeah. Now, I've learned that about myself, so I think all of us need to know what are our little, and I'm not going to, self-care is getting completely yeah. overused as yeah. a term, yeah. but what do you need to be at your best in a horrible situation that's stressful? in the moment yeah. or you know what's your ritual that you need yeah. at the what end of the day you? I mean what I love that you? question that yep. you brought up a few episodes ago when we talked about that right yeah. and what heals you in the moment when you're angry yeah. and you're in a meeting yeah. meeting my friend Cassie talks about yeah. she envisions herself as rising above and witnessing it mm-hmm. for as if she was a fly on the ceiling literally she's flying above and when there's something very intense and she has some intense meetings yeah and in a board meeting that's intense she can take herself out. She has learned that to wow. be a healing tool. That's awesome. Now, for for me, mine is probably I don't have as much skill in the in the moment as I do in the every morning Keep I have working. ritual. Yeah. So that it gets me started in a way mm-hmm. that can motivate me for a better day. Yeah. And other people may have things that they do at the end of the week or things that mm-hmm. they do um, intrinsically. Yeah. But we it, when we can identify those. They're going to help us, yeah. and they're going to be completely different for every single yeah. person. Yeah, and I think that's cool because, I mean, what I was thinking of when we were talking about this, like, putting on a face or being on, quote-unquote, is that when you are in a place of health and a place of security, to use that term, you go, you take on the tendencies of a four, mm-hmm. um, which is epitomized by authenticity, right? This right. like hopeless romantic that is very in touch with the artistic expression and uh, creativity. And so I think that's so, it's so interesting to think about that your natural tendency might be to put on a face or be on, but when you're in a place of health, it means you're in a place of authenticity, right? Right. Which is your value. Your right. core value when we did the exercise that that was your number one core value right. um, was authenticity. So right cool. and active controller for me is being on mm-hmm. when things are a mess. Uh, ooh, yeah, because it's self control. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Ooh. Okay. Cool. Alrighty. Other strengths that you spot in this, or do you want me to start diving into? The eight? <laughs> Let's take on eight. Let's take on the eight. Okay. And so I'm going to just commend you for being as brave uh, because. So, I mean, 
Here's, here's some words that are in here. Enthusiastic. That's a nice one. Adaptive. Um, considerate. <laughs> Crea- um, creative. Helper. And then it's active controller. controller. <laughs> which is this term, which I've never heard this term before I took this. So I, it's the most common here is the challenger. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, forces of nature, strong presence, values being in control. Um, guarded but caring and protective of those around them. Um, They mask vulnerability with a tough, no-nonsense exterior. They may seem intimidating and confrontational. At higher integration, so in more um, security or more health, they combine their directness with compassion, which is that drawing the characteristics of the two out, collaborating with others while serving the greater good. That was all from the My Enneagram, um, Integrative Enneagram Solutions um, E9 report. Um, so yeah, so some of the things also that I'll read from there, like I did the two, a confident and direct, you're comfortable saying what you need to say and you get on with things, trust your gut, quick to respond, willing to make decisions and move forward, uh, big hearted and protective of the people and the things that you care about fighting against injustice. Autonomy is important, self-sufficient and dislike being dependent on others. You have your own way of taking charge and influencing others and the bigger organization. So the motivational need is to be strong and avoid vulnerability. Um, You value having control, love challenges. At your best, you're empowering and encouraging at your worst. Um, You are domineering, aggressive, and unstoppable. This stems from the strategy to express yourself as larger than life in a threatening world. So that's fun. So I have been labeled aggressive in the past. That is a label I've got. I've gotten from a very young age. I have always, um, eights tend to naturally assume leadership. I've always been a leader, um, always been, um, eights, a lot of ones tend to assume leadership, uh, the perfectionist. Um, but a lot, I've always, you know, student council president to, um, NHS president to, to whatever it is, um, that, uh, tend to have the ability to take control really easily. Um, so yeah, I, I've gotten, uh, yes, the word aggressive, uh, which has been hard. I don't know that I've ever been called domineering, probably not in my face, but probably behind my back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, so this is hard because when, so this is the report we're reading from is, um, you know, the IE, um, IEQ 9, but um, I originally took it from the Enneagram Institute, um, which is um, a little bit cheaper quicker but not doesn't have as much validity behind it and the Enneagram Institute has a ton of resources on their website but it talks about in total health like in almost like full shalom of the person like full wholeness this is what the person looks like and then like in full unhealth and full unhealth for the eight is sociopathy it's complete control and manipulation of everything so much so that you're not at all in touch with emotions. You have no empathy, right? Like that's, you know, psychopathy, you know, defined at its finest. Or um, And so it just like, in, it's very harsh. Like I feel like it's so, it's bad. But okay, now um, I, I want to say a few things about this. As you were reading that, I'm thinking about, and, and these, this is again, this is me in my yep, two. strengths-based mindset. And, and two But, two-ness. okay, so when I'm thinking of you, I think of you as, I, I, w- I would prefer, I don't necessarily like questioner. I, challenger is okay, yeah. questioner. But what I'm thinking is you're really thoughtful about the learning. And so when you are questioning, you're questioning for the sake of learning. 
Yeah. And you're questioning for the sake of there could be something that we should discover here that you haven't thought about. Yeah. Or a way to make us better, right? That's in a sense my, you know, and I talk about it with context to uh, my context, my number one strength of context loving to have all of the background and information, like all of the history. Right. And so therefore, I feel like I question everything a lot. Right. And I feel like some people really don't like that because they interpret that as questioning their authority or their leadership or questioning their decisions. When in reality, it's coming from a place of once you give me all the information, I am 100% on board, like more than 100%. I'll be your most loyal advocate, right? And that's the point of the challenger too, the eight, is I will be your fiercest champion. But don't you dare veil it. Don't you dare cross me. Uh, and don't but you but dare, I mean, don't you dare veil the information. Yeah. Oh, leave it out. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Don't you dare leave out information um, because automatically then that's you've crossed a boundary. Right. And there's like no turning back from but that. But also because it limits your discovery. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was thinking about your, your questioning is for the sake of learning, which honors yep. your learner. Um, your individualization is part of this too. What you just described is your individualization as well. In an independent, oh, yeah. like, n- no, I, I hear you, but hear me. Yep. And then, okay, justice. Yeah. And when I think about how you, you light up around the rights and honoring those in the prison population. Yep. I mean, justice, um, your individualization, the way you are fiercely independent, mm-hmm. um, and you have a lot of pride in being fiercely independent. Oh, I love it. Oh, so absolutely. I think fiercely independent <laughs> would be a better way than saying active controller. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think also at the same time, you're you're questioning because you do care. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the end, and I think that's where the Enneagram can can sometimes be a bit reductive, or maybe I'm in more of a a more maybe of a healthier form of the aid I guess I don't know where a lot of my strengths I have a lot of relationship building strengths but sometimes those don't come out because my strategic thinking comes out and but I think a lot of my thinking themes are driven by relationships so therefore it looks a lot like an eight right, right. like I'm thinking critically about the systems of injustice in the world for the sake of that one person I met who fell through the Medicare gap, right? right? Individualization. Yeah. So then I also think about how just in our last, not the one right before this, but the previous episode when we were talking about aging, you question, you push me. Yeah. You question me. You ch- and I think I said, oh, Tess, you challenge me. Yeah, like three times. Yeah. Because, uh, and we can have spirited dialogue, but you can hear it. Yeah. When we disagree. Yeah. Okay. And that's what, it was so funny because you texted me after and you said, I think this is my favorite episode because we agreed. And I said, yes, gosh, it was so much fun because I love to have disagreements with people. And I think that's the thing where, especially even, um, even maybe from your context, so I'm thinking of my friend Alex is a two and, um, your twos might look a little different. I don't think she's a social two. Um, but uh, so your twos might manifest a bit differently or, um, but she thinks of, the challenge, the arguments as destructive to relationship. My arguments are constructive to relationship because I'm pushing the boundaries of trust. Right. If you're willing to engage with me, like let's go on this aging thing, right? right? I have more trust with you because of that. Because if you do, if you start backing down, I then see you as 
Weak. not strong right as weak you can say weak it's I can okay. say weak yes. right and yes. not that like I don't and I don't see her is that she's pushed back on me enough but like so but her interpretation of the pushing is like we're fracturing relationship right and, our friendship is getting less and you're pushing because there that's where the learning is I'm pushing because the learning's there I'm pushing because I want you to stand up and be your own advocate and stand up and champion the causes right right like it frustrates me so much when people get pushed over right which is such an aid right of like strength and assertiveness and core fear being helplessness and vulnerability and I just, I wish everybody had the freedom to voice what they viewed at any given time. Because I feel like I just do that. And not everybody does that, right? They have things that tamper that. So, I don't know. I love, like, when, you know, at some point, you know, and I think I talked about this on the last or the aging episode. So, I don't know if I'll ever get married or have kids. But, like, when people ask me, like, what would you want? Else, I want someone who will fight battles. Like, who would push up against me who has mm-hmm. very strong views because I just I and it's totally as an eight now that I'm processing it like I can't weak people are the people I need to protect right they're right. not the people I can walk along life side by side with. it's also where you are fueled with intellectual conversation absolutely and there's no intellectual yep. conversation if someone just says you're right I agree mm-hmm. oh those there's conversations no I love those kinds of conversations yes there's not yep. that it if you don't have that you're lacking depth Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So blind spots, um, for me, you may not realize how intimidating you are to others. So that's something that until someone voiced that for the first time, I did not realize that I have been called intimidating. Um, And, um, yeah, so I think that that was something until it was told to me, like, Oh, the first time I met you, just kind of a funny thing. Oh, you were kind of intimidating. You were, like, strong-willed and very confident, and I didn't know how to talk to you. Like, I've heard those things before. Um, Like, now that I'm, like, friends with people who are like, oh, yeah, what was your first impression of me? That always seems to be people's first impression of me. Um, And so that, I think, is a blind spot that I think now that it's been voiced, I'm more aware of, right, which is kind of some of the benefit of this work is knowing that that's how the world perceives me and can see me. And so therefore, maybe I should approach new situations in a little bit of a different way. So would you rather have that feedback by reading something like this or by being told by someone? By reading. For me, by reading. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Because then, you know, I'm worried about the relationship, right? Like, is my friendship with this person... It has a whole different framework and context, right? right. It shifts it if that right. was their first perception right. of me, right? And I think it's part of the eight, you know, I don't think we've said this word yet, but I think the controller, the challenger, there's a lot of power at play. Like, I tend to assume power vacuums naturally. Like, I try not to. I don't intend to. But, like, the meeting we had, the all-staff meeting, nobody was dialing in, so I went and dialed into the call, right? There are three people who technically have seniority over me in that situation right in that that room but like it was there nobody was doing it I assume power vacuum right and I think that's a natural part that I've really had to temper not necessarily especially like within teammates like I function very autonomously Um, I'm on a team I love my manager like she's awesome but gives me a lot of autonomy and Mm -hmm. so I've had to be like okay I'm not on leadership team I'm not necessarily in a formal status leadership role so I have to be very aware of where I might have a an urge to step into 
a more powerful place in a conversation or in a meeting and say, okay, is this the right context and framework for this? You're like, yes. <laughs> well, I, but I think it's good to have that. Yeah. That, yeah. that the ability to step back and say, just like we talk about with strengths, reading that definition, yeah. highlighting the words and phrases, but then turning yeah. it over to someone else and saying, how do I show this yeah. in real life? Because what yeah. we see in the mirror is it's often very so. different. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was reading that and you called out about the, you know, not in a non-mom role now. My kids have gently and not so gently told me that. Yeah. But reading that, I went, there we go. Okay. Yep. But I've also been writing about it, talking about it, being open Mm -hmm. about it, that I think because we get to do this, I'm able to do more of that self-discovery and I'm able to be more aware because Mm -hmm. you don't have a problem calling me out. We have that kind of trust between the two of us that you can say, wow, okay, what's happening here? And... We can talk about this. Yeah. So the second part of this that I think is key is having the right support circle to dive into this. Absolutely. So I would not encourage someone to just take off on this and not have any kind of like a real yeah. friendship, yeah. a real trust with someone yeah. that you can say, help me with this. Yeah. Because Definitely. I think you can get stuck on the harsh language. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it can become very self-deprecating. And, and yeah, that's why I mentioned that. I think that, um, you know, I wouldn't broadly with a brushstroke say everybody needs to do this or everybody needs to know this. But if you're doing some intense self-work, right, in Mm -hmm. the context of therapy or counseling, in the context of friendships or a community group or a small group, like Mm -hmm. this could be very helpful, right? Not ever something I would do with my mentee, not ever something that I would do, um, you know, would ask a coworker what their type is right like not ever something I would apply but like it's made me approach my mentoring relationship differently knowing that I am the adult and especially as an eight I naturally assume power how can I let my mentee teach me right it isn't me trying to put this framework on her it's me having greater self-awareness self-compassion and self-realization that I know what my natural tendencies are so therefore yeah my fault lines my blind spots so therefore I can avoid them Mm -hmm. yeah Hmm. Okay, so there's lots of other super harsh language around the gate, but I feel like we got like real, real well into it. Lots on control and power and yeah. So um, one of my favorite things though, in a really good place, one of the, a term that I have found that I will forever champion is revolutionary activism. Of course you are. <laughs> I loved that phrase and I circled it about 12 times on my sheet because I just am... Um, Oh, I I just I love it because uh, I don't know. It just feels like there are so many systems that I'm a part of that I aim to change. I aim to push against to mm-hmm. make them better. Right? Not for the sake of creating waves, right, or disrupting the status quo. For the sake of doing that, right? It's for the sake of making the world a better place, right? And so I hope people who are listening who maybe don't understand someone else or they don't understand the motivations of why would someone um, march? Why would someone protest? Why would someone step up and say, I disagree? Mm -hmm. If you could step back and understand that it may be because they truly want to make the world a better place and that's what this 
mm-hmm. can look like. Yeah. I mean, again, it brings us back to self-awareness, but the more we become self-aware, the more opportunities we have to honor other people yeah. and understand that we are all very unique and different. Um, I was thinking about, I mean, revolutionary activist is set, <laughs> is so you, but also there's just a little tiny hint of context in there, just the way you say revolution. Um, yeah. It's like you love that word. Um, but I was thinking about that's that's you. Now mm-hmm. I would rather hear that. Yeah. Than active, active controller. controller. Yeah. So too bad they didn't yeah. discuss with us. Yeah, with the, you know with us. The best terminology yeah. would be. But okay, so I have to laugh because some of these weaknesses that were listed, one of them I highlighted and circled, and I was like, oh, I wonder what this says because I was digging into your report. I really didn't reread my highlights, but when people don't keep you informed or feed you ambiguous information, you may find yourself uh, interpreting this as a breaking of trust. Like which said, is exactly what you said. You don't you dare veil. Don't, don't you dare veil anything. Oh, yeah. You give me information without showing me the raw data. I am like, this is BS, right? Like, I'm like, I will rerun this myself, and we will see if our numbers hold up. So I question everything, but, yeah. So. Um, one of the things I wanted to encourage us to do, I've um, been – reignited around um one word Mm -hmm. so as we close so when you close a meeting when you close a conversation when you are separating the end of this part of the day yep one word yep so i think we should start integrating that into jen and millie as a great example to mentors and mentees on how to close out their meeting time Mm -hmm. um give some focus give some takeaway Yep. Um, but one word. You go first. You've had more time to this. <laughs> Discovery. Mm-hmm. You're going to laugh because mine, first one that came to my word is defense. Because, Good. yeah, and I think we're just supposed to end with the word, not give context to it, right? I also want to give context Darn, to Darn, I think you were going to say revolution or something. Okay. Uh, well, revolutionary activism hyphenated, obviously. But... Um, defense. Yeah, so defense, I feel like, okay, so I, th- I think it's... I have struggled with how much I've really liked the framework of the Enneagram because I am such a strengths champion. And that has been hard for me. Like, I feel like there's been internal conflict of, like, I don't want to go out and advocate for everyone to take this. I don't think that this should be you know even in the context of probably lots of teammates people listening to this like I don't think this should be systemically implemented anywhere but it has been really helpful for me in getting to a level of authenticity and I believe it's just a perfect example of your eight the The fact that we're internal conflict and the fact that we're having a dialogue about it yeah sure yeah yes yeah and this is the kind of assessment that really feeds your strengths Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think... Which is funny. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I think strengths mm-hmm. is really an assessment that feeds my strengths. Yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. I think it... Yeah. Also, we can agree on yeah. this would not be something that we would encourage, but we can sit here and have dialogue have about it. Have a discussion about it, yes, which I like. And I will never, ever forsake strengths. Like, that's just who I am no, and but how you I'm might, wired. You might but, teach an Enneagram class. But it, it, I think there's been so much benefit for me to do them in tandem um, because there are, they are 
they serve two different purposes and they can work really well together, I think. But again, I think you're so right that to, in order to engage in this really well, I think you have to have people around you. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be here if all of my friends all of a sudden didn't want to know, didn't, you know, didn't want to know all about this, right? Like when I took the workshop, I was the only one in my friend group that really knew about it. And at that time I was still identifying like as a five. I wasn't even, you know, identifying as my true core type. I hadn't really gone through the full typing process. So, um, yeah, so I think, but now in the last probably six, seven, eight months, all of my friends have known their type, and it's become part of our language. Like, there are, which I don't know how much I really like these, but there are lots of, like, Instagram people who will, like, put memes out there and say, this is a whatever wing, whatever, right? And so there's this one that is really funny, and she has really great content, and so I follow her, but um, Enneagram and Coffee is um, her name and or her, like, Instagram handle, but she does these things where it's, like, this situation how each type would respond and so one of them was like a plane crash on a desert island and my two closest friends are a two a six and i'm an eight and so the two was making sure everybody's food right everybody has their basic needs covered right um the six was i have planned for this my whole life and i have risen to be our leader (laughs) was literally what it said i knew it (laughs) Right, like the six is like told you, right? And then um, the eight was like has assumed power, right? Like is is able to take charge and make sure all the shelter or something like that. It was something like that, but it's just interesting because because. Yeah, everybody approaches situations differently. It's a strengths mindset too. It's like when you recognize that someone is coming to this situation with different intentions, motivations, and natural behavior, right. you're going to have more compassion towards them, more right. empathy towards them. Right. Because you and I might do a similar behavior, like I mentioned. We might be doing something very similarly, but we're coming from two different places. And so it helps fill the gap between us with trust rather than suspicion in the end. So, And I, I am grateful that you had me take it. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. on a um, new path for myself, and I think this yeah. is a good time for me to do mm-hmm. self-reflection on some areas that yeah. maybe I don't always see and mm-hmm. I don't always think about. So on that note, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, thank I'm you. Glad. Well, oh, this is definitely goodness. yeah. We're in a good long episode, so <laughs> I'm so glad we divided this into two parts. That was a really good idea. Um, but anyway, so we're just thankful you tuned in. Like we mentioned, this is an, a different one where we probably won't post any action steps, but really just wanted to respond to some of the um, the questions that we had, some of the very popularized notions of this. A lot of people wondering how these differ. Um, wh- what I find really interesting, a resource I want to point everyone to is if you go to the um, the Gallup's uh, coaching blog. It's coaching.gallup.com. And you actually can search for like the Enneagram and other assessments, I think it's is what it's called. And I think his name is Alan Hickman, and he's a, um, a learning consultant with Gallup. And he has compared and contrasted, contrasted strengths with almost every other personality assessment that's out there like how are they different how are they similar and there is one on the strengths in the enneagram um, which is interesting because you know it comes from a very strengths-based mindset so some of the things i'm like oh i'm not sure you know and that's also like (laughs) my eight that's like i don't really trust this because what is your background in researching this right uh you know i've spent which is right so funny (laughs) like okay um but it's very interesting because I think this is just one case scenario of this. We'll, we'll probably not do any of the other ones because neither of us really have invested in the other um, uh, kind of other, any other personality assessments. Um, but just, I think, interesting to, to see how there are so many random measures of personality, right? You can take a BuzzFeed quiz and figure out what flavor of ice cream you are, right? Right. And I think there are certain ones that hold a lot more validity than others. But I think in the end... 
the quest for self-knowledge and self-development, personal growth from a point of loving people better, being a better participant and human in the world, no matter what expression that is, is valid. Right. Right. I think it's a very, I have a very, I think, universalistic approach to personal development. Mm -hmm. I personally champion strengths because I find it the most valid and reputable and the most well-researched and the most well-backed. But I think anything that you, any time and effort that you invest in your own personal growth is worthwhile. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Especially when it's from the purpose of, I want to be a better human in this earth. Um, And I think um, on that note of validity, it's important for our listeners to know that their voice is heard. So when people say, I wish you would cover this, I would like for you to talk about this. When are you going to talk about this on Jen and Millie? We take that seriously. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's important to know that it gives, um, our time here gives voice to other voices and then allowing other people to be heard. Absolutely. Um, So send us your recommendations on topics that you'd like us to talk about. We'll be getting back together after conference. Yeah. (laughs) Because none of us have any free time between now and then. (laughs) Right. And I think you'll just even hear a different tone in our voices. It doesn't sound like stress and sleep deprivation. That's right. Um, All righty. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to episode 47, part two of Jen and Millie. If you enjoyed today's conversation, um, the part one and part two, consider sharing this episode with a friend or just engage in dialogue. If you're interested or you have experience with the Enneagram and Strengths, shoot it shoot us a message and let us know like i'd love to hear how you feel like your strengths contribute or um impact your um your enneagram type your core type uh we'd love to hear some of that information um but yeah probably won't be referencing a whole lot of this in future conversations since we are so strengths based um but yeah feel free to to interact with us uh, regarding your responses to this episode we'd love to hear what you thought um and to interact with us and share um any feedback you have for us along with any other proposed topics you would like us to cover on the podcast Um, feel free to uh, reach out to us Uh, the best way to contact us is by following us on instagram at jen and millie that's at g-e-n-n-a-n-d-m-i-l-l-i-e until next time